on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio 97.7, we 100.1. ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board, as always. You can listen via the ESPN app. That is a beautiful thing as well, because you can take us with you wherever you go. Are you here to tell me we're not on in Utica because the Yankees are on right now? So that is exactly. I, I'm yes. so used to saying that that I look up at my television. <laughs> now, see, I don't. I sometimes I don't know if like that's the replay or not. We, and like, then, to, yes, right, we like to present I the know. best information we can at the I, correct time. I know, I know. So uh, here, I'll I'll do this to myself. So usually we're on in Utica at this time, but Yankee baseball is on in the Mohawk Valley, so we are. Currently not on in Utica, which is a beautiful thing if you still want to listen to the program in places where we have play-by-play airing or other things, or if you're around the country or wherever you are, because that's where the ESPN app comes into play. You download the ESPN app, you hit the Listen tab, and you can take us with you wherever you go, Yankees games or not. Yankees currently lead the Houston Astros 3 to nothing. We are coming off the heels of Mets baseball here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, and oh boy. Well, boy, you know, Matt Harvey, don't know if he's still, how can I put this, a Major League Baseball pitcher of any sort. Mets get blown out today. And then the Jacob deGrom news last night with the hyperextended elbow. I mean, the Mets had a great start to the season, and things have been kind of sliding downhill since. So the Mets, with a blowout loss today, and the Yankees currently lead the Houston Astros by a score of Three to nothing. We shall see if the Red Sox can keep pace in Texas tonight on top of the American League East. So that is your baseball scoreboard watching here on May 3rd at the top of the program. We have two guests that are going to join us today. We're looking forward to speaking with both of these gentlemen. They are both play-by-play announcers that you hear on these radio airwaves. Brian Higgins will join us in about 15 minutes. He is the play-by-play voice of the Syracuse men's lacrosse team as they get ready for a do-or-die, gotta-have-it, if they want to make the NCAA tournament game against Colgate on Saturday at the Carrier Dome. We'll break it all down with Higo coming up. Later in the program, just past 5.30, we will head to Toronto, and we will dial in with Lucas Favalli, the play-by-play voice of the Syracuse Crunch. They start their second round 
Calder Cup playoff series against the Toronto Marlies tonight. A really good Toronto Marlies team. I mean, the Crunch were one of the best teams in the American Hockey League this year. There was a short list of teams that were better, and the Toronto Marlies were one. So this series will start tonight. They will play Game 2 on Saturday. Very short turnaround between Game 2 and Game 3, even with the travel. Game 3 will be here in Syracuse on Sunday. Game 4 will be Tuesday night at the War Memorial, and then we'll see if anything beyond that is necessary. I would imagine that this game, or pardon me, this series will go beyond four games, but that's what we know now. So we'll check in with Lucas on the heels of this series, and I'm always curious about teams that have long layovers because the Marlins got pushed to five by the Utica Comets, of course, whereas the Crunch swept Rochester and, you know, other than, you know, that one six, five game didn't really get a strong push from the Amherst. So the Crunch are rested, the Crunch are confident, the Crunch are ready, but will the long layover result in some rust? Because the Marlies are a very good defensive team that will shut down a Crunch team, at least try to anyway. They were one of the best defensive teams, have one of the better goalies in the American Hockey League, and the Crunch like to come at you at waves. It's that speed, it's that scoring, and you know it's a contrast of styles here, which typically defense has the early edge. So the Crunch need to get off to a great start tonight in Toronto. What have they been doing to ensure that? Lucas Favalli will join us to discuss from Toronto later in the program. We'll do hot takes as usual and uh, plenty more. On the program, I thought there was a really neat Syracuse basketball tidbit to start with today. Mike Waters wrote a piece, and he is kind of doing a two-part series about this. On the effect of the Tyus Battle decision on the Syracuse basketball team. Now, he has until May 30th to make a decision. That is a date that if he wants to pull out of the draft, return to Syracuse, because he has not hired an agent, so he is free to do so. So long as he doesn't hire an agent, he can come back if the draft process, the NBA combine in Chicago, whatever it shall be, comes back in a non-favorable light. So Mike put one up, uh, one article up today on this, and we'll see another one tomorrow, about you know the impact of Battle's return, if that should happen, or the impact of Battle's departure, should that happen, because we're still kind of in limbo on that. There was one part of this in particular, now Mike really breaks it down well and, you know, one thing that I think NBA scouts will have to look at is just how much Tyus had to shoot for this team, particularly with the injuries piled up during the season, the amount of production. I mean, you know the scoring average is 19 points per game. That was the highest scoring average for a Syracuse player since 2005. And that was Akeem Warwick at 21 points per game. Battle broke school records for minutes in a season – Average minutes played, he logged a total of 1,443 minutes in 37 games, snapping the old mark of 1,418 set by Johnny Flynn in 2009. 39 minutes per game was a full minute ahead of Billy Olin's old record set in 1991. Okay. And you could keep piling them on here. Big minutes, he had 586 field goal attempts. That's more than any player since uh, some dude named Carmelo Anthony. In 2003. So kind of a side note to this conversation. I wonder how much NBA scouts will factor that in because usually these workouts and, you know, the combine and things of that nature are usually about measurables. What makes you stand out with this entire group of people that are here? This is the best of the best. Are you faster than them? Is your shot better than them? Is your, you know, I mean, you can go through 
all the measurables and the upside and the potential and all the draft words that you use. And Tyus will have every opportunity to move up the chart. You know, last we checked in with the scout who knows, and we'll certainly do that leading up to the combine and out of the combine. But the scout who knows says he's a firm mid-second to late-second-round pick at this point. There are some mock drafts, the mock drafters that actually put in the work and talk to people and know basketball that have Tyus somewhere in that late-first, early-second-round range. But the scout who knows told me that, you know, Tyus is really going to have to kill it at the combine to feel better about his chances. If he's fine of being a second-round pick, then you go and you be a second-round pick. But if you want to work your way into first-round conversation, he's going to need a bump at the combine. Now, as I like to always say, that's just one scout and one opinion. There are plenty more out there, but, you know, that's why we call him the scout who knows. He's usually not only his opinion and what his team evaluates, but, you know, it's kind of a conglomerate of opinions. He talks to a lot of people, fellow scouts, and scouts aren't always right. If they were, then, you know, they'd all be in Vegas cashing in because they know how to project every player that they've ever analyzed. There are as many failures out there as there are successful evaluations. It's, it's an inexact science. But when it comes to the Syracuse guys in recent years, he's been pretty spot on. Tyus, though, is in an interesting spot because he has the potential to move up, but he also has the potential to go there and show that he does not stand out amongst that group of players in this draft. And, the key thing you got to keep in mind about the draft is next year's draft is widely seen. It's one thing if some people have this opinion and others don't, if it's a split thing. You talk to people that scout, you talk to people that cover the NBA, college coaches, Jim Beheim has even noted this in, in discussing the Tyus Battle thing. Everybody seems to be in universal agreement that next year's draft is pretty weak. But that raises the potential of, well, you know, you can come back, injury. It's always good to kind of strike when the iron's hot. The more, this is sad to say, it should not be the case, but sometimes the longer you play, the more people have time to break down the negatives, right? I think Grayson Allen hurt himself, you know, potentially as a pro by coming back. He would have been a lottery pick a couple of years ago. Now he's hanging on by a thread as a first round pick. And I feel dirty saying that. How dare you spend all this time in school and go to Final Fours and, you know, be an example of what college basketball used to be. But it's just the sad truth that there's so much drafting going on with potential and upside and, you know, you want to leave them wanting more in a way. It's pretty much the way I talk myself into our turnaround jumpers basketball squad. I didn't try out. I Nobody has seen me play basketball. I just kind of talk my way onto the team. So never doubt the potential to talk your way into things, kids. Practice? Are we talking about practice? Come on. Brent Axe doesn't try out. What are you talking about? doesn't mean I'm good at basketball. It just means I was drafted on my potential, whatever that shall be. That's kind of the same thing with NBA prospects these days. So I'm getting off on a tangent now. That's not even what I meant to say. There's something that Mike wrote here that really grabbed me. Speaking of college basketball, the way it is today and how rare these things are. See, I knew it would all tie together eventually. There's one uh, particular part of the story that I want to read to you briefly, which is pretty remarkable and shows that even without Darius Baisley next year, that Syracuse is still in a good position to have a good team. And here's what Mike wrote that really struck me. Sometimes, like, you know this, but when you see it laid out in context, it really puts it into a broader perspective. So here's what Mike wrote. 
Battle's return would give Syracuse unheard of consistency in this day and age of college basketball. Syracuse coach Jim Beheim would have the chance to field the same starting five from one year to the next for the first time since 1999-2000. And as Mike notes here, even then, Tony Bland replaced Alan Griffin, now an assistant coach, of course, in the starting lineup. The last time the same five players started the majority of games in two consecutive years for Syracuse was in 82 and 83. And as Mike points out here, that kind of consistency produces winning teams at places like Villanova, Virginia, and Notre Dame. I mean, Villanova's national championship caliber program, Virginia, frankly, should have gone there more. First number one seed to lose to a 16 seed this year. I mean, can't do that. Right, Tony Bennett is one of the best coaches in the country, but Tony Bennett has consistently lost in the tournament, be it to Syracuse in the Sweet 16, to now a 16 seed, and in spots where Virginia had Final Four caliber teams. That's a hard stigma to get around. He'd still be on my short list of coaches I'd want to hire, but it's all about what you do in that tournament. And the results have been not good. But that consistency year in, year out for the other four months of the year speaks for itself. And part of the reason is and Notre Dame just got wrecked by injury this year. Notre Dame was a Final Four team if Matt Farrell and Bonzi Colson were healthy throughout the year. But when, you know, in this, we have just pounded the deck and had so many discussions about this. And the Rice Commission just came out and the one and done thing and what's wrong with college basketball and so much hyper-focus gets put on that, and then Syracuse gets thrown in the Darius Baisley conversation, which was unprecedented that a player did that. But I'm glad that Mike wrote that and pointed that out because look at the teams that are, and it's not across the board, you know, there are the one-and-done uh, factories like Duke and Kentucky and places that play that game and play it well, and that's fine, you know. That's the way the game is, but Villanova, not only do they mix in one-and-done and, and two-and-done players, they have four-year consistently starting players in Virginia, Notre Dame, veteran players. So Syracuse is going to go from a team that had a lot of inexperience and then got dwindled due to injury to a team that's going to have the chance to field the same starting five from one year to the next for the first time in 18 years. That's incredible. Take that a step further. The last time the same five players started the majority of games in two consecutive years for Syracuse, 82 and 83. And that's long before one and duns became an issue and players were leaving early. You know, it really kind of started with Billy Owens in 91 and kind of rolled from there. Obviously, Pearl left early in that era, but it didn't become normal until about, you know, the late 1990s, early 2000s. Good stuff from Mike there. Read that uh, article. The second one will be up tomorrow, but this. Look, Tyus Battle's choice is his choice. It's a very selfish thing, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. You have to be selfish. You have to think about your best interests here. But if he finds in this NBA road over the next 27 days, and if, in fact, does want to pull out of the draft by May 30th, he's going to be coming back to something special here. And I hearken back to something Jalen Carey said. When the Darius Baisley news came out, and he was asked about it, of course, and you know, Baisley said, hey, I, I wish him well. He's got to do what's best for him, but he's going to miss something pretty special here. This, to me, is a top 25 team without Baisley. Are they a top 25 team 
without him and Battle, now we're starting to push it. But if Battle does choose to come back and potential never wins you anything, but the experience that will return is something we haven't seen in a long time here. So just kind of ponder that as the next 27 days await. 437-7644 is the phone number. We're going to change gears, talk some lacrosse coming up. I think we're all in agreement here that Syracuse needs to be Colgate on Saturday. What are some of the other games to watch? How can they do that? And what kind of Colgate team are they facing here? Brian Higgins is the play-by-play voice of the Syracuse men's lacrosse team. We'll check in with Higgo next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back on the block. It's presented by Burdick Toyota. Thanks to Brian Higgins for joining us. If you miss any interviews on this program, we put them up on our website, which is ESPNSyracuse.com. There's an audio vault there, and go listen to those interviews anytime you want. Speaking of anytime you want, if you want to listen to this program anytime you want, I suggest that you subscribe to our podcast. Very simple, iTunes, Google Play, subscribe to ESPN Syracuse, and you will get a podcast version of this show, commercial-free, sent right to you on your smart device there, so you can listen when you want. We'll send you Orange Nation and the Daniel Baldwin Show, too, so catch up on demand anytime with the ESPN Syracuse podcast. Hit me with that fancy open. Let's hot take this thing, baby. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. All right, I'm a little late to this party, I think. I mean, I kind of heard about this, but I didn't know it was this involved, so... Uh, let's take a listen here. This is Charles Barkley on his friend Draymond Green. What do you want to call it, Chuckster? I just want somebody to punch him in the face. Which, Which one? one? <laughs> American Express halftime report. I really do. I just want somebody to punch him in the face. Why you don't like Draymond? I want to punch him in the face. Why you don't like Draymond? I'm just telling you, I want to punch his ass in the face. I do. Why? Why? Relax, what makes you upset? You asked me a question. I, gave you a question. I, I'm asking, I, I didn't ask you to hey, punch him. You me. said you. I said why? There, there's a lot of things that come out of that. First of all, in an age where you know people get in trouble all the time for saying things in media, if threatening them via joking manner or serious. Charles Barkley, I think, is the last. He's like Donald Trump. Remember, the president of the United States once said, "Yay, democracy!" That he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and nothing would happen to him. And he's probably going to end up being right about that. But that's a whole different topic for a different day. To me, like Chuck is the last standing person that can say anything about anyone, and it's just ah, it's Chuck, right? There are so many people offended by so many things, and the social media mobs come out in force, and Charles Barkley can just say anything about anybody. I want to punch that guy in the face, and then repeats it. No, I'm serious. So Draymond got wind of that, and apparently, we don't have audio of this, but he was basically like, yeah, well, you know where to find me. And I was listening to uh, the Tony Kornheiser podcast today, and Tony was saying that Mike Wilbon is like trying to broker some kind of peace between Draymond and and Chuck, by the way, I would pay more than I'm willing to admit to just be in the room for that dinner. Hey, somebody paid $40,000 to go with Jim Beheim to the NBA Finals. I don't 
That's out of Brent's price range, but I would pay more than my wife would want to know to be at that dinner with Draymond, Barkley, Wilbond, because that would just be very, very interesting. So how long will the Chuck Draymond feud go on here? That's what I want to know. Who else can do that, though? Make me a list of people that can go on the most popular show of its kind in its sport. I mean, Inside the NBA is not only one of the most acclaimed NBA shows, it's one of the best sports shows on TV. And Chuck just goes on there and says he wants to drop a dude. What do you want to call it, Chuckster? I just want somebody to punch him in the face. Which, Which one? one? <laughs> American Express halftime report. I really do. I just want somebody to punch him in the face. Why you don't like Mario J in Atlanta? I want to punch him in the face. Why you don't like Mario? Here's what I like about Chuck, and I think this is why Chuck has become one of the most popular analysts of any sport. He's not chummy with the players. He's not John Gruden, where everybody's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He will go after you. He will criticize you. He has lost friendships over this because that's what viewers want. They want, there's a difference between honest and, you know, trying to make waves and trying to be somebody who, you know, knows how to gain attention. And Charles Barkley hates social media. So it's not like he's doing this just because he knows it's going to get a lot of social media buzz and, and go viral, as they say, and all those things. He just doesn't give a bleep, right? And he will go after you, and people like that. I think sometimes people play that game a little too, how can I say this? It's a little phony. Let me just say something outlandish here. Hey, Stephen A. Smith makes $5 million a year doing it. Can't blame the guy for it. But where will this go? Because if Golden State keeps going through the playoffs and – They go with them. Now, ESPN has the rights to the NBA Finals and and all that. But if they do like an on-site show and Draymond Green plays a really important role for the Warriors and they end up on a set together, they end up in the same arena here, like, (laughs) you got me. I mean, it's it's almost like a wrestling storyline, but. That's hot. Giddy up. I want to see where this goes. As for tonight, can, can we give a big. Can we do like a slow clap for the NBA tonight? Because the Cavs and Raptors starts at 6 o'clock, right when we get off the air. You're going to have NBA playoff basketball on ESPN, and then the Sixers and Celtics start at 8.30. Grandpa can do this. I can watch these games and will not fall asleep at halftime of the second game. I barely made it through Utah-Houston last night, and I wanted to because it was a great game, and I'm watching this thing, much like I was watching Cleveland the night before, saying, how exactly are you winning this game? Utah goes to Houston and evens that series at one apiece. And if you gave me the rest of the afternoon, I cannot name you the starting five of the Utah Jazz. But they did it, and they beat the heavy favorite. Now, are they going to win this series? That's a tougher mountain to climb. So we get Cavs, Raptors, Sixers, Celtics, and it's all going to be done by Grandpa's bedtime tonight. Thank you. Very much, Adam Silver. I know this is kind of a unique thing. They don't do this all the time. It's kind of Toronto is the reason for the early start. But LeBron James is averaging 28 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. He's basically averaging a triple-double here. This is at home for Toronto, and it is game two, and it feels like that series is over. 
This is a crowd that is used to Toronto gacking against LeBron. I heard Brian Windhorst from ESPN talking about this today, and you really felt it the other night if you watched this game. There are certain crowds in the NBA that, look, no matter what, they're into the game. Like, watch Boston tonight. Sixers, Celtics, that crowd is smart. They know basketball. They're into it the whole time. Now, if the Sixers are up by 20, it's certainly going to be a little quieter in that arena than it would be if it's a competitive game. But they are a smart basketball crowd. Toronto, while they have embraced the Raptors, they're a smart sports city, and there's been a lot going on there. The Raptors are in the playoffs. The Maple Leafs just got eliminated. We know that, of course, the Toronto Marlies play the Syracuse Crunch, as we'll talk about Lucas Favalli later in the program. You know, the Blue Jays are going right now. That's a smart sports city, but the crowd is so used to these things happening that they affect what the players do on the court. I know that sounds so simple to say, right? Well, of course, crowds affect players, but you're not supposed to affect your team like that. You're supposed to intimidate the other team. Man, it's tough to play in that place because they're on us. But players have said they feel the tension from their own home crowd, the here we go again, and this is we've seen this before. Now they just broke the string where they had lost a bunch of game ones, of course, before they lost to Cleveland in this game one. It's game two of a seven-game series, so why does it feel like if Toronto loses this tonight, despite the fact that Cleveland is like MacGyvering their way to this, that they're out of this thing? Why does it feel that way? So I was just talking about it with Brian Higgins a few minutes ago. If you're the Toronto Raptors and you've got an opportunity to really take it far here in a wide open East, a wider open Eastern Conference at this point, given LeBron doesn't have Kyrie Irving and number of factors that we've talked about. The Sixers and Celtics are obviously a lot better than we thought, but there's an opportunity there. This is one of Toronto's best shots to go far in the East, and yet if they don't win tonight, stick a fork in them. That's hot. 437-7644, if you want to hop on board. Let's see what Jake in Syracuse has to say. Well, let me hit the right button here. Jakey, what's up, man? Hey, hey, what's going on? How are you, bud? Uh, I just wanted to talk, you know, SummerSlam's coming up for WWE. Maybe we could get this Barkley green thing going. Now we're I know talking. Jack's been in the ring a few times. Now know, we're uh, talking. You know, there Rodman you and Carl Malone squared off back in the day, so why, why not, you know? Jake, you're on to uh, something there, because you got to build it up, right? You, Barkley you gotta... talks about punching a guy in the face. Like, Barkley's actually done it <laughs> on the basketball court, you know? He, he's, so, and he's throwing imagine, a person through a window in, in real life, so, like, he'd be perfect for SummerSlam at this point. A&H talks about LeBron averaging nearly a triple-double. I mean, Barkley went up against the bad boys. Can you imagine LeBron going up? And- I can, actually. I, I think the bad boys would have a tough time stopping LeBron. You know that? Jordan had to go through the bad boys. Jordan had to go through, you know, getting hammered like that. Can you imagine that none of that ever happens in the NBA today? I miss the old NBA. Go Yankees. Thanks for taking my call. Jake, thanks for the call, my friend. Yankees uh, losing, by the way. They had a 3 nothing lead, and uh, that thing has been gacked away. Now losing, what's, is it 6-3 now? Houston Astros, man. You blink an eye, five to three. Pardon me, bottom of the eight, five to three. Astros up on the Yankees. Yankees had a three nothing lead at one point in that game. Bullpen blew it for the Yanks. But I'm in for SummerSlam. Draymond and Barkley down with that. You know, I'm not as in tune with wrestling these days, but I know you got to build things up, right? They got to be on Raw a few times, and you build up the storylines. And 
Maybe Ronda Rousey can get involved somehow. I don't know. I'm all in for that. As for the, look, I don't want to sound like that guy. Things were better in my day. But Jordan did have to play the bad boys and was in a more physical league and got double teamed all the time. And still, not only that, Jordan wanted the other team's best player every time. No matter who you played, give me that guy. That being said, you tell me LeBron James couldn't beat the bad boys, couldn't beat Magic Johnson, couldn't beat name me any old school team that Jordan had to go through and LeBron could beat him because LeBron's that good. So the whole LeBron-Jordan comparison, I mean, it's kind of getting tired at this point because LeBron is that good. Does he have as many titles as Jordan? No. Will he go 6-0 in the finals? Of course he can't do that. People are are emotionally attached to the generation they grew up in, but if you look at it objectively, there's a lot of things LeBron's better at. We'll see tonight if he can do that again to the Raptors. Uh, to switch to uh, hit the hit the thing there. That's hot. Go. To switch to hockey quickly, and we're, we'll talk to Lucas Folly later in the show. Tom Wilson of the Capitals, and tonight is game four between the Caps and the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Tom Wilson will not be out there for that game or the next three games if that three-game suspension holds. And I think that is a great move by the National Hockey League. That was a dirty hit. His reputation precedes him. It's the playoffs. And to be fair to Tom, it was not called a penalty at the time. They reviewed it, and they didn't suspend him from that game. The league stepped in and had to enforce that discipline, and I'm glad they did. Now, if it gets reduced to two games, it gets reduced to two games. But in a physical sport where you know things get heated, this is as intense a series as you're going to get, obviously, with the history between the Capitals and the Penguins. But he, he the guy left his skates. Go watch that replay. To me, that's a guy who, like, he's on Ovechkin's line, so he's opening things up for Ovechkin. He's trying to protect him. But and when you watch things 20 times, you, you kind of talk yourself into him. But I watched that game. I watched the hit clean. Not clean. I watched the hit live, I should say. Not a clean hit from the first time. So I don't often applaud Gary Bettman in the NHL at that level for things like this, but I will applaud him for this. Oh, boy, Goldberg. Yankees blowing it here. Top of the ninth, 5-3 Houston on the Yankees. Did I just curse myself? By the way, the Yankees are going to come back now. We'll break. Seth will give us an update. We'll talk to Luke Savali next hour. we got a lot to do on the lacrosse front, more on SU hoops and Tyus Battle. Some good stuff there from Mike Waters today I want to get into a little bit more. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Hang in there. Thank you. Bye-bye.